And yet they believe that NPEs acknowledging our biological parents is somehow an act of defiance. Such twisted logic is, you know, frankly, a, a sign of mental pathology. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 73. Today I am speaking with Richard. Hi, Richard. Hi, Lily. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm happy to actually be speaking with you in person. We've been emailing for a few months now, and it's nice to finally hear your voice. Yeah, it's one of those things. You wait for it, you wait for it, and then suddenly here it is. So I'm happy to be here. You were very patient. Uh, I know the wait list got kind of long there for a while, and you sent me some really great articles and videos. I don't know if you know this, but on my Facebook page, I've posted every single um, video you've sent, NPE-related information that you've sent me on the NPE Stories Facebook page. Well, it's, uh, as you well know, it's an important message that we just, we need to get more of this information out to a larger audience. Yes. And you're also, at some point in your story today, going to share a little bit of your experience with um, the topic of, I guess, what would you say, how to contact a newly identified relative? Is yes. that something? As you and some of your other guests have commented, someone needs to write a, a book about what to do the moment you find out that you're an, an NPE. And yeah, I have a, a few words of advice that people can take or dismiss as they as they see fit. But I think for at least for me, it worked out well. So I'll try to pass on, pass along some sage advice. And will you please write that book? Because I, I need it. Someone please tell me what to do step by step. <laughs> We a lot of sadly, or well, maybe not sadly, but just yes. There's a lot of people who who definitely would benefit from something like that. So, but in in substitute of that, I think your podcast has really filled a, an an urgent need, and uh, I thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And let's hear your story today, Richard's story. So, uh, tell me about your original family and about your childhood. Sure. Well, in the late 1960s, my parents were both 18 years old and dating each other when my mom discovered that she was pregnant with me. Uh, to paraphrase her words, she told my dad, I'm pregnant, it's your baby, and we need to get married. Who knows whether my mother genuinely believed that I was my father's child, or maybe she had doubts as to whether I was his child, or maybe she realized at that time that I was not my father's biological child, but she had her own reasons to claim that I was his child. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Regardless, their shotgun marriage unfolded as you might expect. Arguments were in abundance, money was not, and they struggled to care for me and several siblings born after me. Amazingly, my parents remained married for 25 years until they finally and bitterly divorced which is something they should have probably done probably 24 years earlier. 
So uh, in spite of this bleak uh, introductory story, I can say that my childhood's totality was a, a genuinely positive and genuinely happy experience for me and for my siblings. And I readily admit my parents worked tirelessly to, to you know, overcome life's obstacles and care for and be engaged with their kids as, as best as they know how. I like to characterize my childhood by saying my family had many good years as well as many really bad days. Um, foremost on the bad days was the screaming or the yelling, as I call it. I often say it in quotes, the yelling. This was chiefly driven by my father, but in my house, whomever yelled the loudest and the longest and with the most anger and the most foul language, they won the argument and got their way. And as my siblings and I aged towards our teenage years, my family aligned into two screaming teams, with my mother and I on one team battling against my dad with occasional support from my brothers on the other team. Uh, my dad was a big, strong guy, and he had a hot temper, so the threat of violence always hung in the air with him, and unfortunately, on a handful of occasions, violence actually occurred. So needless to say, when I went away to college, I was quite happy for many reasons, including that I was the first person for my large extended family to venture off in college, but mostly I was happy to you know, escape my dad and, and all the yelling, so... During my 20s, my dad and I evolved into two people who did little more than tolerate each other and had an occasional heated arguments. And then once I hit my 30s, I wised up and limited my interactions with him to just once or twice a year, which is you know, the status of our relationships uh, today. Early in my childhood, I recognized the, the vast dichotomy between my dad and me, and also to an extent between my siblings and me. And virtually any attribute, my appearance bears zero resemblance to my father, and I have, at best, only slight resemblance to my siblings. My dad and my brothers are gifted athletes. I am not. I excelled academically, whereas they struggled as students, and the, the list goes on. In and of themselves, these differences do not prove anything, but as a kid, I, I, I experienced many moments trapped with this baffling thought that something was fundamentally erroneous about my dad being my dad. And I often wondered why nobody else seemed to perceive this, you know, this conundrum. The other, uh, my childhood's other key incident was when I was approximately eight years old and my mother again became pregnant. My parents argued constantly and fiercely about this pregnancy to the point that mom, me, and my siblings went to live with an aunt and uncle for a while. My parents somehow reconciled. We moved back home, and at nine months, my protruding belly mother told me she was going to the hospital. A few days later, she returned home with a shrunken belly, but no child. I asked, where's the baby? Which seemed an obvious question. Uh, to which she responded, the baby was placed for adoption. For the remainder of her life, my mother never uttered a single word about this child and took her knowledge about the adoption with her to her grave when she succumbed to cancer in 2004. My mother, was an outs my mother was outspoken about virtually any topic. Thus, her secrecy causes me to wonder, you know, what crisis prompted this adoption? In particular, did this child have a different father? I mean, I don't know. To this day, I don't know. What is clear is that my mother unilaterally executed this adoption and did not share details with anyone. And the other adults in my life remain silent as well. To the, you know, again, to this day, my sibling is this, this never person, apparently unworthy of the simple decency of acknowledging their existence. 
notwithstanding my lost sibling, I had a close bond with my mom all my life. Uh, when I was young, my mother often told me, Richard, you have the brains. If you work hard, you can accomplish anything you want. And the thing is, I believed her. I think with all due humility, I can claim her adage came to fruition. I used my brains and found my own success in this world. Uh, just as I did in childhood and adulthood, my mom and I spoke frequently and visited frequently. Yet I never asked her about my lost sibling because I really thought about my lost sibling, something I was conditioned to do from a young age. Today, you know, I only have a few regrets in life, but probably the biggest regret I have is not asking my mother about my lost sibling. And about a half dozen years ago, that regret finally catalyzed me to begin a search. Initially, I attempted to wrestle through some paper records and didn't get very far. And once I exhausted that option without success, I submitted my DNA test in 2019, spurred on by all the happy reunion television commercials I saw. My usual skepticism of mass marketing had failed me. Perhaps somewhat idiotically, I hoped, if not expected, to receive an email saying, we found your lost sibling. Instead, I received emails saying, we found your fourth and fifth cousins. So I, I, I could not constructively process my results. I, I had purchased the autosomal DNA test, the mitochondrial DNA test, and the Y chromosome test. And for the Y test, none of my matches had my surname which is unusual because Y chromosomes and surnames invariably travel together. Moreover, for the Y test, there were at least a dozen matches with this other, not my, surname. Finally, my ethnicity results seem strange compared to what I knew of my family's heritage. So all of these sh things should have been red flags, but I just dismissed them as some odd coincidences. I, I now know this was a mistake. I should have done my DNA homework. I didn't. Uh, although, in my defense, even if I had fully comprehended my results 18 months ago, the eventual outcome would have been similar as today. So I was, you know, dejected with my DNA results. And every few weeks, I received another fifth cousin email, which just added insult to injury. Then in August of last year, an email arrived and said, first or second cousin. So it's like, wow. Wait a minute. This is a surprise. I did not recognize this woman's name. Her first name is Stephanie. I found her, quickly found her via an internet search. She lives in Alabama, which is a place I have never visited in my life. Nevertheless, we started communicating right away and soon immersed ourselves in trying to solve the puzzle of our connection because it wasn't uh, you know, immediately obvious and we weren't entirely sure. The good news is Stephanie is an amazing genealogy sleuth. She's been building family trees and finding historical records and solving her family's DNA mysteries for several years. And she soon conjectured that she and I were a paternal relation, to which I responded, no, 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 wait, that's probably not correct. I'm seeking a sibling born to my mother. Plus, my father is likely not the sibling's father. And my dad's never been to Alabama either. So how can we be related via our fathers? What are you saying, Stephanie? Are you saying I have some other man as my biological father? Uh, obviously, the answer to that question was yes. So from there, events happened rather quickly. I mean, having my dad submit a DNA test was the obvious next step. But as I've already mentioned, my father and I have minimal interaction. However, my brother and I get along well, and my brother is one of the few people to get along with my father. In fact, two years ago, I had asked my brother to ask my dad for information about the lost sibling. 
which my brother did, but my dad did not have any useful information. So now, in a similar fashion, I asked my brother to ask my dad for a DNA test. Unfortunately, my dad did so. I also spoke to my mother's sister, who was obviously my aunt. She had a, a lifelong close relationship with my mother and has a close relationship with me as well. She flat out denied any possibility that anyone other than my father was my biological father, insinuating that I was foolish to even consider such you know, foolish ideas. Her skepticism motivated her to submit a DNA test, even though I explained that her DNA would not resolve the question of my biological father. <laughs> but that did not stop her. And actually, this was a prelude of the even greater or more serious irrationality that I would soon, uh, soon endure from her. So several weeks later, the test results confirmed that my father is not my biological father, which, you know, frankly, did not surprise me. I've been thinking this since I was a little kid. Also, the results confirmed that my aunt is my aunt, which also was not a surprise. Stephanie re-examined her family trees and speculated that my biological father was one of two brothers named Dennis and David. Unfortunately, both brothers are long deceased. Stephanie, although Stephanie knew that Dennis has a daughter named Vicky, and she is alive and well. Through a six degrees of separation scenario, Stephanie talked to her grandmother, who talked with someone, who talked with someone, who talked to somebody that regularly talked to, to Vicky, and got Vicky to agree to talk to me. <laughs> Vicky and I clicked immediately. Our initial conversation lasted four hours. Like me, she grew up in the cornfield towns and wanted to escape to something bigger. Like me, she's extensively traveled and lived overseas. Like me, a bunch of other stuff. She agreed to a DNA test because various information suggested her father could also be my biological father. This was now mid-October, October, and my daughter had a week's vacation from school. My wife, daughter, and I were a bit stuck in our house COVID crazy. So in a spontaneous and perhaps foolish decision, we decided to drive eight hours to South Carolina to meet Vicki. The trip actually went well. Uh, we met her and her family for several hours, saw old photos, heard old stories. Um, her father, Dennis, looks nothing like me. But nevertheless, we, we enjoyed her, our, our visit at her house. During the long drive home, Stephanie, Miss Find Everything, she texted me a photo she had somehow found of David, the other brother, from, maybe, from when he was maybe 10 years old. David looked strikingly similarly, similar to me as a child at that age, and I spent many hours just staring at that photo, not while I was driving, obviously. Stephanie also informed us that David had been in prison for several years. So while I was driving, my wife contacted the Illinois Department of Prisons, attempted, attempting to get uh, some of David's records. A week later, Vicky's DNA results arrived, but were inconclusive. I had now done my DNA homework, which is a good thing, and I understood that her centum organs indicated that she was most likely my first cousin, but a small possibility existed that she was a half-sibling. This was a, a bummer for her and for me because Vicky and I were hoping that we were conclusively siblings. In fact, Vicky suggested that we just declare we are siblings. And emotionally, I would have been perfectly fine with that declaration, but my scientifically oriented mind remained, remained restless. 
A week later, I received an email with David's prison records. We had amazingly received them. So after thanking my wife for her efforts on my behalf, upon open, opening his records, I, I saw a photo of him and I stopped. I mean, I just, I stopped breathing. You know, in this photo, he's 26 years old and he looks exactly like me at that age. Mm. Or, or perhaps more accurately, I look exactly like him. That that photo was one of the most poignant wallops I've ever experienced in my life. Never have I seen a photo of someone that resembles me. And I have been keenly aware of this deficiency my entire my entire life. And suddenly I see a photo of someone that is identical to me. It's, you know, it's thrilling, it's it's traumatizing, it's 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 a lot of things. So I dove in and started reading the records, and the, the prison records also had a piece of critical information. For several months prior to prison, 25-year-old David had lived in a hotel located in my 18-year-old mother's small hometown. And these months overlap the month when I was conceived. Hmm. I have no idea how my mom and David may have met. My dad and several other people do not remember my mom associating anyone that could have been David, although obviously after all these years, memories aren't the, aren't the best. And I have reason I'll get into in a few minutes. I, I speculate that my mom knew David for only a short period of time, which could have literally been one day or less. So the, the photo and the prison records were strong evidence that David was my biological father, yet I wanted you know, DNA evidence. And once again, Stephanie came to the rescue. She found an old newspaper article about David's death. He died in 2006, alone, homeless, living in his van in Florida. I called the police department mentioned in this article, and 20 minutes later, I had the police report. So within the report was the name of David's daughter, Renee. With Stephanie's help, I obtained Renee's email and then carefully crafted an introductory letter, sent it to her, crossed my fingers, and waited. A day later, she responded. Her message was brief, but among other things, she said, and I'm quoting here, we are all entitled to know where we come from, if for nothing more than the knowledge itself. Hmm. And as soon as I read those words, I knew Renee was going to be a good person, and I have since confirmed that she is a good person. I also desperately, you know, this isn't just about me. I, I desperately wish every NPE could receive words like hers. And actually, I might even go off on a tangent just for a moment and, and offer someone words of advice to newly discovered NPEs. At least for me, taking my time, carefully crafting introductory letters, waiting a few extra days, and then further editing my letters, and then waiting a few more days is perhaps the wisest move I've made throughout this, pro throughout this process. You know, maybe, maybe I just got lucky. I acknowledge that. But I, I believe that patience and planning was rewarded by strangers being willing to speak to me. So I encourage, you know, any new NPE to use my experience as a, as a, as a playbook, if you will, of how to optimize the chances. Again, nothing is guaranteed, but at least the chances of a favorable outcome when reaching out to strangers. And I encourage everyone resist the powerful urge to act instantaneously. 
because uh, as you know, Willie and his others have discussed that uh, that doesn't always go as as intended or as hoped. So anyway, I digress. Back to my story. A, a few days later, I called Renee and had another one of my four-hour conversations. She noted that I currently look exactly like David did at this age, including me having the same eyeglasses as him. I learned about Renee. I learned about her full sister, Angie, and their mother, Patty, all of whom live in Louisiana. A few weeks later, I had a pleasant conversation with Angie. And then I also spoke with Patty, which was in an enlightening, albeit often somber, conversation about David. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say that David was not a wholesome person. Indeed, he was a habitually criminal person who lived an often chaotic life, characterized by disparaging his children, threatening his wives, and other mayhem, some of which landed him in prison. Um, despite his many bad traits, David could be charming and engaging. Uh, he was highly intelligent, which may explain my success in school. I mean, weirdly, I feel that I probably owe him a, a debt of gratitude for the the brain power that has allowed allowed me to thrive, you know, in, in college and, and after college and in life. So, um, Renee graciously agreed to a DNA test, and a few weeks later, the results proved her to be my half sister. So, my mystery was solved. The hundred days were over. I've come to call these the hundred days again in quotes, putting air quotes here, because from that uh, first email that I got matching Stephanie to Matching Renee was roughly 100 days. So, so where am I at now in the aftermath? Looking at all this stuff, I mean, uh, from David, I have four known half siblings and possibly two additional half siblings who are currently unlocated. Combine this with my mother's children, and I have 10 half siblings from six different parent combinations. Mm. I have no full siblings, which Perhaps it shouldn't, but I admit it annoys me a little bit. Um, you know, and I've had lots of, uh, you know, in this aftermath, done plenty of introspection. And I, I can say that overall I've done well to manage and accept this potential, accept this potentially shattering event. And my wife and several close friends concur with that assessment. You know, justifiably or not, I've always believed that my life's unfolding will occur in direct proportion to the wisdom and intention of my efforts. So I try to act accordingly. Additionally, over the years, my wife has continually instilled in me a focus on what you can you know, achieve today and do today type of attitude. The past is gone and can never be altered, no matter how desperately I may wish to do so. And the future is never guaranteed to any of us, not to me, not to you, not to anybody. So as best you can, focus on today. And I am doing my best to live that mantra, albeit some days are better than others. But overall, I think I've done well. I, you know, I had a strong bond with my mother, but my remembrance of her is now is now damaged, which is, you know, it's just sad. My my mother was she was an intelligent woman who must have at least suspected and almost certainly knew that I was not my father's child. Yet in 35 years, she never expressed those thoughts to anyone, as far as I know, which, you know, frankly, is quite an achievement. Never, not once, in a, in a moment of rage or a moment of sorrow, did she let this information slip. Maybe she just cemented in her mind that I was my father's child, 
notwithstanding the blatant evidence to the contrary. I, I presume that my mother was well-intentioned, but, you know, frankly, her, her good intentions do not absolve her of her decades-long charade of an alternate reality that significantly impacted me and, you know, my opportunity to make fully informed opinions and decisions, to say nothing of my lost sibling or, or other people in life. I, I, you know, I'm dispirited that my mom could not surmount her silence or shame on behalf of me or my lost sibling, or other people in her life worthy of the truth. I, I, I can understand, I can empathize, I can have sympathy for, and I can forgive, and I do forgive, my mother's desperate decisions she made when she was 18 years old, and the others she made during problematic years thereafter. But by her mid-40s, she was divorced from my dad, she had her own stable life, her own career, Her children were grown up. Why was there a continued need to conceal her secrets? And I provide, the worst part is I provided my mother with dozens, probably more than a hundred opportunities for a confession. I, I distinctly remember I was in sixth grade. I was 11 years old and my father had embarrassed me at a school event. I came home with tears in my eyes and flat out asked my mom, how is he my dad? when I'm nothing like him and he's nothing like me. And I asked her some version of that question many, many, many times over the next quarter century. Yet I never took my question towards, you know, the logical conclusion. I I had this mystery solved 40 years ago if I had only comprehended the obvious. But I, I was a little kid. Do not blame me for this mess. And and what's worse is my mother continually answered my question with, he's your dad, he'll get better, he's your dad, try to forgive him, he's your dad, stop asking, and, and so forth. I, I spent decades telling my mother that a square peg does not fit into a round hole. And my mother just propagated her sham by telling me to be patient and try harder. But I was right, and she was wrong. The whole time. So much family grief, so many family arguments, and, and the anger that I feel towards her right now, all of it could have been avoided if she would have just scraped together the, the fortitude, just one time unearthed the courage to tell the truth somewhere over all those years. But she never did. Not not even a deathbed confession. I I, I wish she would have done so for her own sake. Because perhaps her worst harm is that she denied herself a catharsis from sharing the truth. I do not know whether my mom made peace with these secrets or how she made peace with these secrets. But I do know that even if she made peace, she never offered that peace to me, my lost sibling, or anyone else. And her lack of action can be rightfully classified as selfish. Also selfish is that my mom denied me the opportunity to ever meet David. I would have, I would have liked to have met him at least, you know, just once. Mm-hmm. And today I'm, you know, I'm perplexed about what to do about David. You know, should I mourn? How do I mourn? Why do I mourn for someone I never knew? But on a visceral level, he is someone I needed and wanted to know. Whether to mourn for him is made more difficult by the fact that I am convinced David would have brought chaos 
to my childhood had I known him back then. And had I met him as an adult, I would have not tolerated his foul, foul behaviors for long. And actually, David's foul behaviors were likely involved in my conception because, sadly, several pieces of circumstantial evidence strongly suggest that this was not a consensual act with my mother. Whether my mom was verbally and emotionally manipulated by him or whether she was outright assaulted by him, I, I, I do not know. Yet I, I ache knowing that at a minimum, I am the product of an impromptu encounter between two people who barely knew each other and might have literally been strangers. And I, I ache even more knowing there's, there is a plausibility that I am the product of a sexual assault. I, you know, I still firmly believe my mom should have spoke the truth, but I'm you know, reluctant to sustain my anger at her knowing the, the trauma she, she likely endured. Per, perhaps telling me, perhaps never telling me about David was wise because had I known what he had done to her and had I located him, I may have retaliated and physically assaulted him. So it's, you know, I just do not know what to think uh, about David. So in terms of other damage, I am currently not speaking to my aunt and I do not expect that to change anytime soon which overall is sad, is a sad outcome because we've had a, a lifetime of mutual goodwill. But I, I will not tolerate her utterly absurd comments any longer. Keep in mind that as a kid, there were two people I trusted enough to voice my concerns about my father, my mother and my aunt. So now, decades later, upon telling my aunt, I had DNA confirmation of my biological father and asking for her advice as to how I should disclose this to my siblings and other relatives, her response, her exact words were, why would you tell them? What difference does it make? Until that moment, I had given my aunt the benefit of the doubt regarding several other appalling things she had already said to me. But after those words, my, my view of her just, just changed. And immediately after she uttered those words, I did what a lot of NPEs do in these deny reality situations. I brought up the health history issue. I reminded, my, I reminded her my mother died from leukemia at age 55, an age I will reach in just two years. And I informed her that my biological father had throat cancer and several other serious illnesses when he died. So I sarcastically asked her, what difference does it make? Well, should I tell my doctor? I thought my argument was ironclad and that she might now have this you know, epiphany about the value of the truth. I was wrong. She mumbled and fumbled and cobbled together some evasive answer until I just angrily cut her off. This is ridiculous. Given the choice of protecting me from cancer or protecting my mother, who's been dead for almost 20 years, protecting my mother from embarrassment, my aunt favored my mother. I, just, I ended the conversation. So later that day, I, I concluded that the truth of the matter is, is that my aunt was doing her best to shield herself from scrutiny. Similar to my mom, my aunt either knew I was not my father's son, suspected I was not my father's son, or was too stupid to notice that being my father's son made no sense, even though I had specifically asked her about this issue when I was a teenager. Either way, she failed me years ago, and she was failing me now. So 
I stopped speaking to her. In January, I sent her a letter that in no uncertain terms stated, I will not perpetuate lies. And unsurprisingly, my spineless aunt has not responded. I mean, I mean what's she going to say? You know, perhaps I should just understand that she's 70 years old and grew up in an era when dark secrets were kept dark. Worse, she and my mom grew up in a household with dark secrets. My grandmother was a really weird woman. She gave birth to about a dozen kids. 60 years ago, upon giving birth to a boy, he was either given away or taken away. The circumstances remain suspicious to this day. But upon returning home from the hospital, my grandmother told some people the child had died. Well, 40 years later, he found my grandmother and the rest of his birth family. He was alive and doing well. We had a big celebration family picnic to meet him. I I was there. This was like 20 years ago. Uh, So a few months ago in, in December, I gave him a call because obviously he's an NPE and he knew my mom and he knows my aunt. He offered me some worthwhile, uh, you know, NPE thoughts. He also told me that leading up to the big family picnic we had 20 years ago, there was drama behind the scenes because my grandmother was struggling to acknowledge the truth about who he was and how he came to be. I mean, this is generational craziness. My grandmother surrounded some of her children in silence and lies. My mom surrounded some of her children in silence and lies. And my aunt pushed me towards silence and lies. You know, it's just enough. My, my mom, my mom was a good person and she was flawed by her humanity. My, my aunt is a good person, but she's also flawed by her humanity. But I'm breaking their abysmal family tradition. And, and we need to bre- break such traditions for all the idiot people that hassle NPEs. These fools routinely and effortlessly acknowledge the biological parents of 99.9% of the people they know. Doing so is an act of insignificance. And yet they believe that NPEs acknowledging our biological parents is somehow an act of defiance. Such twisted logic is, you know, frankly, a, a sign of mental pathology. These folks desperately hoping that a fantasy world that exists only in their head will manifest in the real world. I mean, it's just my opinion, take it for some worth, but all of them should seek professional help. So, because I, you know, I know people's unwillingness to accept reality is a common problem for NPEs. And at least for my story, I'm campaigning to ensure reality is front and center, in particular for friends and relatives that knew my mom and know my aunt. And if telling my story results in people's memory of my mother being damaged, that's unfortunate. I really do not like it. But my mom had 35 years to take ownership of this narrative. And if telling my story means people judge my aunt negatively, that's also unfortunate. But she's free to defend her infatuation with dishonesty. The truth liberates all of us. I've, I've learned from my own actions over the years that expressing truth can be difficult and sad and uncomfortable and all those kind of things. But in the long run, the truth is the easiest option. And, and all of us, myself included, all of us need to improve our truth-telling capabilities. The, the good news is, particularly as it relates to NPEs, is the, in the not-too-distant future, DNA deceptions will be nearly impossible to sustain. And I say, good riddance. So luckily, other relatives and friends have supported me and, and, and done you know, 
understood and, and, and listened to my story and, and, um, just been good to me. A different aunt who was the sister of my mom and the first aunt that I mentioned, and she's about a dozen years younger than them. Upon, you know, upon telling her my NPE story, her reaction was what you would hope and expect from someone who genuinely has concern. She had a lot, she said a lot of, you know, oh, Richard, I'm so sorry for you. So sorry to hear this. This has to be hard. I'm sure your mother struggled, your mother struggled with this and, and so forth. So that's, that's the kind of response we all need. Uh, interestingly, some longtime friends of the family, they have a daughter that they adopted from China 25 years ago and, and brought over and plopped down in the uh, Caucasian cornfields of the Midwest. She's obviously now grown up and she and I in recent times have had some rather interesting conversations um, from the two different perspectives. She, you know, She's an international adoptee, has known that all her life and how that has impacted or her thoughts about that. Versus me, who discovered in my fifth decade of life, my life is not what I thought it was. So those have been those have been some really good conversations. So uh, I, I see my birth certificate father in a new light, in a positive light, which is uh, genuinely tricky for me. I mean, decades of antagonism are not easily erased. Uh, unfortunately, he's elderly and in poor health. Uh, but we had a constructive conversation a couple months ago about the DNA results. And he stated that he suspected for some time, those are his words. I didn't try to pin him down exactly, but it was pretty obvious. It's from when I was, you know, when I was a child. But anyway, he suspected for some time that I was not his child. Despite his suspicions, he still fed me and kept a roof over my head. And I told him that I was, you know, grateful for that, and that he, he didn't necessarily abandon my mother. I mean, life with him was, an, was not always easy, but I'm convinced life without him would likely have been more difficult. And I, I believe that had my mother told us the truth, my relationship with my father would have improved because the, the pretense would have been gone. So another, another missed opportunity. Uh, the other good news is that I genuinely feel fortunate for the strangers who have recently helped me. Stephanie, Vicky, Renee, and others continue to be willing to communicate with me. I am keenly aware that many NPEs are not as fortunate, and I wish all NPEs could experience what I have experienced with these charitable women. Stephanie is uh, noticeably younger than me, but Vicky and Renee are near my age, and occasionally I wonder what might have been had I known them earlier in life. I think uh, we could have had a strong connection, although I, I try to steadfast against the, the dead end hole of could have, would have, should have, might have been. Instead, I plan to keep talking to all of them and just see what the future holds. I've already met Vicky in person, and I hope to meet the rest of them in person at some point in the not too distant future, maybe once all this COVID stuff goes away. So um, what started this all was my lost sibling and I still have not found my lost sibling or actually mm -hmm. I found a bunch of other siblings that I wasn't expecting, but uh, which has uh, definitely been mm -hmm. a good thing and had some benefits. But the, the child born to my mother, which I refer to as my lost sibling, I, I have not found him or her, but the search continues. So anyway, I could, uh, I could keep talking, but I've hit the highlights. Mm -hmm. but hopefully that explains the situation. Oh, beautifully said. I, I have questions. I'm just identifying with so much of what you said, but this, this lost sibling piece, 
which is, you know, really what started this. Um, I'm sure you've gone over this with your wife a gazillion times, but you're, you were eight years old and you had siblings. Correct. To, you know, as, as far as you knew, your mom and your birth certificate father. Yeah, I think Why? I can say with certainty, my, my two younger brothers are my father's children. They look a lot like him. Okay. So, I mean, why would your mother give a child, which would have been her fourth child with your dad, up for adoption? You know, I, you know, their marriage was rocky. They had financial problems. Or, I, again, I'm speculating, but I'm, you know, I'm fairly convinced the child was not my father's child. At that mm-hmm. point, my mom was... Um, she was going to school. She was out of the house a lot. I mean, I don't know. The, the bottom line is I don't know. I yeah. Don't, I, I don't know. I can only, it's all speculation. Uh, what I can say with certainty is I wish I would have had this conversation with my mother 20 years ago. I'm to this day very upset with myself that I never brought this up and tried to get some more. Just get something from, you know, if you don't want to tell me the details of your marriage, that's fine. I mean, I witnessed a lot of them, but I didn't know them all. But mm-hmm. as far as the adoption goes, you know, hey, you got a, a name of an agency, a name of a family, you know, something you can give me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and keep in mind back then, you know, Ancestry.com wasn't around. And I, there's no way my mother could have ever foreseen what was coming in, you know, mm-hmm. a decade after she died. So, um, so, yeah, I just don't know. Have you ever been able to talk with your dad about that? Or is that something you guys don't refer to? Yeah, no, we never, I mean, we just, we never, like I said, literally, we never spoke about my last sibling. It was never mentioned. My mom, my dad, aunts, uncles, family, friends, nobody, right? My siblings who were even younger, my youngest sibling, you know, didn't even know there was this child. He thought it was just some rumor or something. I'm like, no, no, I was there. I saw mom's big belly. I touched it. I rubbed it. She was pregnant. You know, exactly what happens to the child, I don't know, but she definitely had a kid in there. That's there's no doubt about that. And about your mother and your, your birth father, um, it sounds like you've pinpointed how and where they were at the time of your conception. Now let's your your dad, you said he was in and out of prison. There's prison records you found. You've done a ton of sleuthing over yeah, the so last my, year. My biological father in, in some ways perhaps it's good that he was a criminal. And I say that somewhat facetiously because there are all these records and we were able to obtain them in the the records. First of all, Mm. were photographs, which were just amazing as far as I'm concerned. And then there's all these, you know, intake reports where he talks about he, he, my biological father, he did not have the best childhood either. So again, I'm not trying to justify some of the things he's done. I'm just trying to explain why he probably turned out the way he did. He clearly had a, a had a rough childhood, and um, you know he was in prison in, in his late teenage years, and um, so it had a lot of information about that. And then speaking with Patty, who was one of his uh, uh, ex wives, their marriage ended. I, I mean, I'm not going to get into all the details. That's Patty's story mm-hmm. to tell. But it just we'll just simply say it didn't end well. It actually occurred. She was married, and they lived here in the Midwest. And things got so bad that her best option was to quite literally get on the train and go, you know, hundreds of miles mm. away to to Louisiana to escape him. Can I ask, you can say no, um, like what kind of 
was there any sort of sexual offender, sexual violence sort of crimes in his? Again, keep in mind, I'm going by the information that other people have told me. In terms of what he went to prison for, no. He actually went to prison for stealing and some other things. So in terms of what he Mm -hmm. went to prison for, no. But in talking with people who knew him, yes, that was, that definitely, according to them, that definitely occurred. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, your mom was 18. I mean, both your parents. Wow. Yeah, they were 18. And part of it, you know, again, I want to get, but even as a little kid, whenever there was like a story on the news, or I remember once in my small little town, there was, there was this, this husband and wife, there was a big debate. Could you rape your wife? And just anything about assault and rape, my mom just went from zero to a hundred. It was really weird. And even as a, as a, as a young child, I could, I could, you know, I could tell that just, what is it about this topic that makes her act so strangely? So that's something I personally observed. And then some other information I got from uh, my aunt and uh, my aunt, I hate to say my nice aunt because that's not true. My other aunt, both my aunts are very nice, but the aunt who has been supported of me, let's just put it that way. Some information I got from her and then in talking to the people who knew David and some of the things and, and people who were harmed by David. I mean, yeah, it's, it's an, I, I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to know exactly what happened but it is completely plausible, not only plausible, Mm. but highly Mm -hmm. likely in some way, shape or form. My mom was in a situation she did not want to be in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And I do want to keep privacy around your, your story, of course, but you're going by Richard. This is Richard's story, episode 73, but could people reach out to you if they, if they wanted to talk? Oh, sure. The more, the more we learn from each other and support each other, the the better off Mm. we are, all are. Probably the best thing to do is just simply email me. And I actually set up an email just for my MPE stuff. So let me uh, grab a pencil and paper and I'll write it out or I'll say it and then I'll spell it out. It's loan.tree.npe at gmail.com. So that's L-O-N-E dot T-R-E-E dot N-P-E at gmail.com. Loan.tree.npe gmail okay great i've got it i'll put it down too and you're going to write that uh handbook that guide for all of us mps on what to do right <laughs> i'm a healthcare professional now but when i first went to college i was an english major so yeah it's not uh, not beyond me to do such a thing i've entertained such thoughts I, a lot of times with these things just getting started is the most difficult part so yeah i think i just need to get started you're a beautiful writer i really appreciated you i've you well, know i've been I become friendly with you because I, I started hearing your story before some of this played out, before you got the prison records, before you spoke with your birth certificate father and and had confirmation of your biological father. I've been I've been caring and thinking about you over the months and you're a beautiful writer, Richard. You should <laughs> you should think about it. I mean writing book with so many MPs have their creative outlets that have been so helpful and and I'd certainly read it. Well, I appreciate your comments. I, I I don't think of myself that way. I just write what I like to write. But, um, but mm-hmm. no, I appreciate that. Yeah, somebody, mm-hmm. as as we said, somebody needs to do this. So if not, if not me, then who? So yeah, I mm-hmm. need to find some and all the spare time in my life to down and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although I am at home these days, working from home because of COVID. So, so I might be able to pull it off if the COVID home lockdown lasts a little longer. 
Well, thank you so much for um, for sharing all this today. Well, thank you for, on behalf of me and all the, you know, everyone who's been on here and learned from this and listened from this and has grown from this and recovered from this. It's uh, really great what you've been doing. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.